Hi, guys. It's America. And Teresa. So we're taking a break in January, and we want you to check out some of our favorite episodes. So we'll be back. Keep on fighting in the open. Hi, everyone. You're listening to In the Open, a podcast by Mental Health America, where we talk all things mental health related. It's America. We're back for another episode for uh, In the Open. And I have a special guest with me today. Her name is Kelly Davis. Hi, everyone. Teresa couldn't be with us today, but I think this is such an important conversation that we're going to have today. Just for anybody that's, um, you know, kind of thinking about what we're going to be talking about. We are going to be talking about thoughts of suicide, and we're going to have um, an in-depth discussion about thinking about suicide and wanting to die. So, if that's something that can be a little bit triggering for you, skip this session, listen to past episodes, or wait for the next one. We will not at all be offended. We hope that you take care of yourself always. So um, with that, what I'd like to do is give Kelly a chance to introduce herself. She's been with us before, but a while ago. So of course, we're going to want to hear from her again. So Kelly, say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. Um, my name's Kelly. I am the Associate Vice President of Peer and Youth Advocacy here at MHA's National Office. And all of my work is about how people with lived experience of mental health conditions should be in leadership positions throughout mental health, whether that's peer support programs in schools or policy or insurance, all the different things, making sure people, real people's perspectives are included in how we support one another and design mental health. So, and then I myself am somebody with lived experience of a bunch of different mental health conditions and many, many years of intensive mental health treatment. So I'm excited to be here and talk about something that I've dealt with for a long time that I really didn't know for a long time that other people dealt with too. And I'm excited to talk about what it's like and what's been helpful. Thank you, Kelly. You do so much. I think the work that um, you really are focused on and in, in kind of breaking down what you do right is really at the heart of who we are as an organization and making sure that the experience of people who actually have lived through mental health issues, mental health problems are actually integrated into all of the spaces where we say, you should create these systems, but always with somebody that's actually lived through this experience as part of that thought process, that development process, and actually getting things into the hands of folks. Yeah, I would say on that note, too, this topic in particular, right, if you talk to a lot of clinicians um, versus if you talk to people with lived experience, most of the support that I've got around this is from other people who have lived with intense thoughts of suicide for long periods in their life because a lot of times it can feel scary to bring up to mental health professionals. So I think too, it just speaks to the value of people connecting with one another and creating space for conversations that might be scary or might feel scary to other people. Kelly, I think you've made a made a such a valid point around how we talk about these issues as mental health professionals and how clients can kind of broach these topics. It's very different than having a conversation with somebody who's actually had these experiences, have lived through these issues, and really kind of navigating that space, right? Mm -hmm. But to frame the conversation today, what the really the topic so that people are really aware of it is 
the idea that many people think about killing themselves. So it's, you know, I think about killing myself, but I don't want to die. And we spent some time going back and forth around what that actually means, right? So I would love for a moment if you can tell folks, what does it actually mean when you're thinking about killing yourself, but you don't want to die? Because for many, I would be like, well, that's suicidal. You're, you're, mm -hmm. you know, in dire need of some intervention because you're talking about suicide. But then I'd be like, actually, you got to dig deeper. Yeah, I think that there's some different ways that people experience this. So I think for many people, even if it's just at one point during their lives, have life experiences where for some reason, you know, they feel pressure from all angles, or they feel like something isn't going to get better, or they just feel overwhelmed. And I think thinking about killing yourself or imagining dying, I think is pretty normal. And I think for me, and, and from what I've heard from a lot of mental health professionals, is really, it's more of an indication that you feel like you can't escape. And I think that we get so we might get so afraid or people around us can be so afraid when we talk about that we're thinking about those things, even if we're not going to act on them, that it makes it scarier. So if other people tell you that you should be afraid of having these normal thoughts, then you might keep it to yourself and limit the opportunity that you have to really explore, you know, why do you feel like things are inescapable? Are there things that you can change about that? Is there... Is it more just about learning to observe the thoughts? And I think in my lived experience, the first time I remember thinking about killing myself, I was seven years old and I've had multiple suicide attempts, but deal with pretty regular thoughts of suicide. And for me, I think I'm somebody who I have an extensive trauma history, but I also have big feelings. And when I get to a certain threshold of pain, my brain just automatically goes to suicide. So I've never, I've never had that experience where I have thought about uh, killing myself. So it's a very foreign thought process. Mm -hmm. I have thought about dying, which is very different, right? Like, well, what would happen if I die? But I think what we're talking about is this idea, and what you're, and what you're really speaking to, is the notion that. So correct me if I'm wrong. Are you actively mm -hmm. thinking about? ways to kill yourself? Or are you just thinking about, I don't, I don't think that I should be here anymore, which is different. Yeah. I think that I've had both experiences and I think, I think that they're triggered by different things. Like I think that, I think there's a version of this where it's more pervasive, where it's like, I'm kind of thinking all the time about like, what's the point? Why do I even do anything? I don't feel like things are going to get better, but I don't want to hurt the people around me. I don't want to, um, you know, I'm, I'm actually af afraid of death and I just like, I don't want to do it, but everything feels kind of hopeless. Mm -hmm. And then I think on the other hand, there's more acute or intense, like bubbling up of these feelings. So something bad happened, your feelings are hurt. You had um, a big loss in some area of your life. and those feelings come up as just like intense emotional sensation. So I think that there's kind of these background thoughts that we might have all the time, especially if there's, if we just feel like there's no point, I think meaning and having a sense of purpose is, is really important. I know for me, 
I guess the two things that have been most helpful is one, having this broader sense of meaning attached to being part of a movement of people who care about improving mental health. So that kind of has helped me um, be like, okay, even when I have these thoughts, like there is, there's something keeping me here. So like, I don't want to die, even if Mm -hmm. I have to deal with thinking about killing myself all the time. But I think the biggest thing that's been helpful to me and is also something that came up with the like stopping stupid thoughts stuff is I had a therapist who said, this is just how your brain says it's in pain. I see. For some reason, if other people's brains might say, I'm sad, my brain says, kill yourself, which is like a very intense Mm -hmm. version of I'm sad. But the process, I think, you know, I'm a yoga teacher. And I think through meditation and learning kind of how to not identify with the thoughts as something scary, but just as like my brain's response to pain has been really helpful in like making it making it feel like less of a trap because even if you don't want to die having thoughts about killing yourself all the time especially if they're emotionally intense is still emotionally intense and hard especially when people around you are afraid to listen and and you don't want to freak them out you don't want to upset other people you don't want to get hospitalized talking to a mental health professional so i think that um just like for me the biggest thing was really understanding that uh, this is just my like default for some reason, and it becomes less less scary and more and more about this is just feedback. My brain's telling me that I'm in pain. My brain's telling me that I feel trapped by something, and then that I think gives you, or at least for me, gives me more of a sense of agency that there's like options for addressing the issues that are making me want to kill myself even if I'm not going to from what you're sharing though I feel like thoughts of killing yourself kind of exist on the shelf they're just there Mm -hmm. consistently you know they're there it's not like you're gonna go and open up the can right and be like oh look Mm -hmm. thoughts of suicide no you Mm -hmm. just know they're there they're forever there they're never Mm -hmm. like gonna go away and Mm -hmm. then you have it's an active thought process and an active Mm -hmm experience that you engage in to be like, I know they're there. That doesn't mean I have to open them up. Mm -hmm. I do recognize though, that when they start like moving around a little bit, Mm -hmm. something's happening, right? Mm -hmm. It's some kind of warning sign that you have adapted to and maybe created, right? Mm -hmm. Your brain has created to help you understand, Hey, something's happening that you need to pay attention to because every other single warning sign that I ever gave you, you did not register, right? They were like nothing on the scale of the Richter scale, right? There were no earthquakes at all. So it's interesting how that has become maybe like a, a it's, it's some sort of measurement, right? Of where you are emotionally, of your emotional state, really. Mm-hmm. And then the other side of that is also how If you don't have the space to talk about these thoughts openly, then you just exist within your own mind. Mm -hmm. And knowing like how I overthink a lot Mm -hmm. and what that can do to my self-worth and how I feel, that's so much, right? Because, But there's an added component to this because people do freak out. When you say the word suicide, Mm -hmm. 
many things happen, right? If, if it's a trained professional, they're often like, oh, well, tell me more what's happening, you know? And, and then there's a protocol, right? Most often the professionals are going to go down the path of a protocol. Tell me what's happening. What are you thinking about? You know, asking questions to, to help them determine if you are actively suicidal, are you planning to actually kill yourself? Right. Mm -hmm. But then on the other side, when it's kind of like a lay person, your friend, your family member, they're like, Oh my God, I don't, you just said this word that I have no idea what to do with. What did I do here that, um, you know, did I cause Mm -hmm. this? What can I do? And what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to feel better? You know, how am I supposed to help you? Right. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that's like my initial kind of uh, thought around that experience. It's like, Hey, Hey, calm down for a minute. This has nothing to do with you. It has to do with whatever the person is feeling. So I would love if you can share both aspects, right? Like what has happened when you have brought this to somebody's attention who hasn't necessarily been prepared to listen. So what's your experience been like around that? When I was younger, they told the school and then I got in trouble because we would hope that it doesn't work like that. And we would hope that things get better. But I think that that's still people feel like they're punished when they disclose something that they're encouraged to disclose. And I think in terms of telling people, I think I was just talking about this is we want to make sure that people have access to mental health services People certainly don't have to be therapists for their friends, but I think that there's something in my experience that has felt almost dehumanizing when friends are trained to just tell you to go to the hospital or call a hotline when you're just expressing that you're in emotional pain. And I think that that's part of why peer support relationships have been really important to me, just knowing that other people can hold space. And what that means is just like really listen and not freak out Yeah, when you talk about something that might be scary. I think that's the piece that is most frightening Mm -hmm. because people don't know how to navigate the space. So they're automatically functioning from a place of fear. Mm -hmm. And being that I'm trained in this work and when I've had these conversations with other people, I'm like, okay, well, tell me, tell me what's going on, you know, whatever. You just ask questions. But really the the normal kind of lay person the who has no idea of anything is just kind of like oh damn you just dropped this in my lap and i have no idea what to say and i, I want to fix it too and i want to fix yeah. it for you because it's yeah. distressing for me to know this is happening oh yes <laughs> that entire aspect of i'm here i'm going to be the superhero to help mm-hmm. you out of this whatever it is and I value the fact, you know, that people care about you. That That's not what we're saying here, you know, like, please care about us. But there's an aspect where sometimes you just need to just be quiet and listen. Mm-hmm. What would you say to somebody that is in, in this place that has n- no idea um, how to react appropriately? What would you recommend? I think it's really just listening and being curious about people's experience because I think it's really painful to feel like you have to protect other people from your mental health. Um, And that adds a lot of additional distress. You know, so many people I hear just the biggest part of what's challenging about my mental health isn't 
my mental health. It's that I have to pretend it's not happening. And other people also want me to pretend it's not happening. But I think one of the things that I've discovered in talking to other people who think about killing themselves, even if they're not going to, is that for many people, they want to have that option on the table. So it's not that they're actually going to do it, but the fact that they know that they could, if things were bad enough, that there's, there's, there is some way to escape, even if they would never do it. I think for many people can be soothing or like reassuring that if, if it got to that point, I could do something. And I think that having that option, and this is what I've heard from other people is just some kind of place that our brains go to say, okay, you could escape. And then you can kind of get a breather and come back to what feels inescapable. But just knowing that you have like a a plan that you could turn to, even if you're not going to, for some people is reassuring, even though many mental health professionals and advocates would be terrified at people saying that. I think the lived experience world that I navigate talks pretty openly about that fact. Um, and how it's helps them feel like there's something they could they could do even if they won't if that makes sense it it makes sense in what you're saying um but I also question if they have gotten to that place because they've had the support in some way whatever i don't I don't know what that support is to be able to get to that place because mm-hmm. you know one of the things that you said earlier was you never knew that the thoughts you were having were normal because nobody really talks about this, right? Mm-hmm. So when when was that? When when did you come to be like, dude, I'm thinking about this all the time. Like mm-hmm. I have no possible way to not escape this thought. Mm-hmm. And then what did you do? Like I said, the first time I can remember feeling like that was when I was in, like seven years old. And probably when I was like 22 after like a lot, a lot of mental health services, but really starting to find other people with lived experience that I felt like kind of able to start talking about it more. I think that communities online, right, have made a big difference because similar to what people are doing by listening to this, is there just less social risk <laughs> uh, talking about it online, reading about mm-hmm. other people's experiences, and then hearing people's stories helped me feel more comfortable bringing it up around people. But it's still this weird dance of being like, can I trust this person? It's going to be, I'm going to guess that I can trust this person okay. too, where you have to kind of figure out if, if somebody's going to be safe to tell that to as well. What I find really interesting in what you're in what you're sharing, Kelly, is this idea that when these thoughts kind of initiate, right, and through all of the therapeutic work that you've done, one of your therapists came to help you really like pinpoint this one idea of that default thinking, right? Like mm-hmm. this is where my brain goes because I, for whatever reason, really the other issues in my, like the other emotions that come up, they don't register as easily. Mm -hmm. And I think for many people that do function in this space and are having, you know, thoughts of killing themselves, there is a disconnect also in how they can actually 
manage those thoughts Mm -hmm. because they may become so cumbersome that when they're in a space where they don't necessarily know that this is normal, mm-hmm. that they're just like, there has to be something wrong with me because I can't stop thinking about this. Yeah. I mean, one therapist said that to me one time and it changed my life. As far as mental health interventions go, it was pretty, pretty effective. Just one sentence really changed everything for me. But the normalization of, t- of talking about it. I think that there's just such a wide variety of what people experience that everybody kind of underestimates just like what range of things are happening in, in other people's heads. But I think that it was really validating to being like, no, there's nothing wrong with you because you think that and your pain is valid. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a lot of other people who either have that setting in their brain or who go through periods of time where they're just like, you know, I'm not going to do it, but I'm just like thinking about killing myself. And I think that we've, there's right. There's like the cultural baggage, right? It's like why we tell people to not say commit suicide is because talking about suicide and killing yourself and all these things are historically considered crimes or really bad. And it's like, you're doing something wrong you're a bad person, you're selfish, all of these things that we're told about people who feel these things. I mean, even it's such a common thing. I've seen it online. I spend so much time on forums where I'm like Googling, I'm going to kill myself just so I can calm myself down by reading other people's thoughts, which is what I'm assuming a lot of people who are listening to this will, will have been doing, right? We tell ourselves, oh, well, if you really wanted to do it, then you would, so suck it up. All of those things that we hear, even if people don't say them to us, we read them, we see them in media, I think that they can make us feel like something's really wrong with us for having feelings that people have had for the entire history of being people, I think. And I think that there's like cultural baggage um, attached to that too. In my experience, when I've talked openly about this, people are, many people are jarred and they're uncomfortable, but then I get the messages and like people coming up to me on the side being like, I feel that way too. And I didn't know that other people felt that way. So um, I think that there's, there's cultural and social norms that also impact not only, right. They talk about like the second arrow is like not only do we feel the pain, then we feel the pain about the pain we feel. We're embarrassed, we're ashamed, we think something must be wrong or bad about us. And I think that that makes it way worse too, is that it's not, it's painful, but it, it doesn't mean that you're bad or something's wrong with you if you think about killing yourself. It's like a pretty typical experience. It's like, um, it's chalked up to being a, pers- a personal flaw, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a character flaw in how you're created. Like, you know, a, a good person wouldn't have these thoughts. And it's like, mm-hmm. uh, actually, I'm a very good person and I still have these thoughts. So like, suck it. Mm-hmm. But it, it it's tied to the way that many of our societies really do think about suicide and what it means mm-hmm. and really how it's portrayed, right? Because- when I when I do these trainings and things and I go out into the world and like talk to people around anything that's mental health related and suicide, it's like you think somebody would actually go out into the world and be like, well, I'm just going to function like this because I selected to. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, man, mm-hmm. like you have to be in such distress that you feel like there is no other option. And I think that's where people don't understand that 
the level of emotions that we have as individuals can be so far ranging Mm -hmm. that it's not about what you feel is good. It's how I feel about whatever. Mm -hmm. My feelings are completely different than yours. So, you know, Teresa and always talk about like, you know, we have a really bad relationship with food. A freaking cupcakes make me freaking, you know, delirious and happy, Mm -hmm. but a cupcake can do nothing for you, you know? So, I think part of this conversation, though, is connecting all these dots to help people understand that the thoughts that you may have about killing yourself and the continual kind of the little engine that exists in your mind, where all of these kind of uh, pervasive thoughts function, they are connected to who you are as a person, but they don't define who you are in your daily life. They are part of you. But they are not you in your totality. Yeah. But sometimes when they're so intense, it it becomes all you can see and all you can feel. I also want to add, because I think that talking about how common things are, I think can make us feel connected and like there might not be something like, quote, wrong with us. But I also think that it doesn't mean that somebody's individual suffering and pain is not important. Oh, because I think, too, like you could have the other thing where it's like, oh, you know, everybody thinks about killing themselves. All these people have depression. Like I should just suck it up and get it over with. And I think, too, like we want to make sure that, you know, this doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you or bad about you or you're, you know, broken or damaged goods, but everybody deserves somebody to sit with them and witness and listen to the the reasons why or the things that are underneath this. So even if it's common, it doesn't mean that every individual person's story is not complex and important and worth listening to and worth kind of processing through and talking through because even if we have these shared experiences of anxiety depression suicide we all have different ways that we get there and we all have different ways that we work through them so i think too just just because it's common doesn't mean that each individual person is not unique or you know worth listening to or you know we shouldn't dismiss people in the same breath as saying oh it's actually not scary everybody, many, many people deal with this. So like, you're fine. I think that there's people have to go through a process of working that out for themselves. Like I can say this now because I, that conversation with that therapist for me was Mm -hmm. like seven years ago. So this is me seven years after that realization, right? I've, I've had time to like, where I know that I I can sense the difference for me. Like there's a there's a line between I'm actually going to kill myself and I'm I'm just thinking about killing myself, and it was through practice, um, and and patience and therapy and hundreds of hours of meditation and yoga stuff that I was able to learn that for myself. And I think that you know people are we talk about lived experience, people are the experts of, of their own experience. And it's kind of a process of figuring out where your kind of boundaries and thresholds are, but but knowing that your story and experience is also unique and valuable and important and you deserve somebody to like listen and validate you. Where you are today is is a testament to the work that you've done, right? In one, figuring out what your emotional state is, what does it mean? And really unearthing all the stuff that lives in your mind that then leads you down this path or 
has helped you create the recovery tools, right? The tools that you need to actually make you think a different way, assist you in thinking in a different way. And I think part of that conversation is also tied to this idea that when when people actively start thinking about these issues and you're the person that is there listening, right? Being the supportive individual, I think part of that requires that you really take some time to ask, what do you need, right? And and that, that's something that we've talked about consistently with Teresa. It's like, when you, you as the individual have to be able to say what you need, identify the support that you need, which is really hard, and then be okay to receive it, right? And then on the other side of it is the person who is willing to provide support and actually doing what the person says, right? Well, I need you to just sit here and be quiet and don't give me advice. I just need you to be quiet and listen. And if you're not that individual to just sit there and listen, you have to be <laughs> quiet. So it requires a really um, a very safe and mutual relationship that is based in a place of trust and willingness to be vulnerable. And in many cases also be fearless about whatever it is that's going to be discussed. Yeah. Usually what we tell people, I think that it, I, I really appreciate your point about sometimes we don't know too, because I think that it can also be frustrating when people are like, okay, well, what do you need? I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I have to solve that too. I'm just talking about how bad I feel. Now I have to like coach you through helping me. Uh, yeah. So I think that there's, um, that it, uh, as the person kind of receiving support, it can be, it can be hard too. Cause I think you have the like one thing of like, Oh, I think that people, regardless of their mental health challenge, a lot of times feel like they have to protect other people from themselves. So I think that that like adds an extra task. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. The monster that exists inside. I know that experience. Um, and it's, it's kind of jarring though, to, when you consider all of the things that we've talked about, how difficult it can it can be to kind of get to this place of being able to identify your feelings. But then I think it's also amazing that once you you do get the right kinds of support, whether it's like that one therapist that helped you, you know, or um, mm -hmm. your friend, uh, an anonymous person on the internet, right, that has said mm -hmm. the exact same thing that you're thinking and has confirmed your thoughts there is a process to help you also get better. And I don't say that to like belittle the, the individual. I say it more along the lines of when we think about having hope around our experience, I really feel like there has to be something that, that you look forward to. And it kind of ties to your idea. You were saying like, even though I am not going to kill myself. Just knowing that that's there in some way is comforting. Mm -hmm. And that's not, that's not necessarily hope, but it's, uh, it's that reassurance piece. Like it's okay. Nothing out of the norm is happening here. Yeah. I think what, so I'm sober. And um, one of the other things that really changed that I say to myself is my first sponsor used to say that's just my brain doing its old song and dance mm. and it's kind of like by creating or developing a new relationship to this part of my experience that just 
has gotten quieter and less frequent, but is still part of me and still part of my experience regularly, it doesn't impact me the same way. And it doesn't stop me from doing other things. And I have hope and I have other things that I that I enjoy. And I think being able to say, oh, that's just the thing my brain does. I guess I'm really sad mm-hmm. instead of really stepping in to the feeling and getting afraid and, you know, like isolating myself or all of these things just creates a lot of space for you to be more than just those thoughts or those feelings. And this might be too, like, I don't know, spiritual or something, but I think there's a lot of like spaciousness that comes from learning to not immediately step fully into that distress, but to say, okay, like, this is just a part of me. This is part of my experience. This is part of a lot of people's experiences. I think for me getting um, diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder um, and, you know, some people, you know, people who are diagnosed with like borderline personality disorder, um, knowing that for those diagnoses, this is just really common helped too, where it's like, oh, okay, like this is how my brain had to learn to protect itself and survive. And it's just my brain trying to help me. So I think there's, there's all different ways to kind of change your relationship with those thoughts. If you're a person who, you know, it's not just like a period of time where you're thinking about it, but it's, it's a regular part of your experience. And I think that that creates room to, you know, make your life about more than just this really one painful part of it. I would say that that's a sign of of healthy growth, right? Where for you, you've you've learned how to set these boundaries, non-visible boundaries, right? Because they're all like in our mind. In many ways, I think it's part of what helps people really understand that our experiences are so varied that we can't just be like, oh, well, here's a checklist of all the things you have to do. And if you do all these things, everything will be okay. And and that's not the reality mm-hmm. of it. You know, you really have to develop your own checklist to get to a place of feeling better. Yeah, definitely. All right, Kelly, I think this has been mm-hmm. um, a very important and fruitful conversation because we do want to always create the space for all these things that we exist in our minds that are oftentimes avoided because we choose to fight in the open, right? So I don't know if you have any final thoughts you'd want to share with folks. I think really part of this too is also, you know, your your feelings are, are valid. Your brain, you know, just might be trying to protect you. But I think too, something that's been important for me is also to be mindful that sometimes it can turn into active suicidal thoughts. And I think, you know, having friends and people you can talk to, but even things like crisis text line, um, I think it's really important to have some sort of wellness planning for yourself, whether that's that's yes, the things that keep you well and healthy and how you, you know, learning to understand what's your kind of normal tolerance, like not to use clinical terms, your like range of experiences that feel okay to you. But to also, I think it's also important to create a crisis plan because sometimes they can turn into active suicidal thoughts where, you know, you have a plan, you, you have means, you're really thinking through how you're going to do this. And I think it's important to have access to things like crisis text line, 
or you know to work with somebody or or look online to to make a plan for what you'll do if it becomes too distressing is because i think too we don't want to dismiss the seriousness that can sometimes come with these thoughts too so so i would say that everybody deserves to be seen you know you're not broken there's nothing bad or wrong with you but um it's important to as you learn about yourself and continue to you know develop different relationships with your emotions and your thoughts and and your feelings that you take time to make a plan for what what you do when you're feeling different ways mm -hmm. i think part of that is that um you know we've talked about like the the wellness recovery action plan um, in the past mm -hmm. but this idea of the crisis plan i think is also a very important one where you lay the groundwork for really helping you identify um, behaviors and emotions that may be early indicators that this is more than just me thinking about it. I'm actually putting some real thought and action into it. And uh, the crisis text line is a, is a resource that is available to everybody. You just text MHA to 741-741 and it's available 24-7. You know, there also is the National Suicide Lifeline that folks can access. Um, the Trevor Project also has like a hotline that people can access. So there are resources out there that folks can can reach out to. And warm lines are also a space that people can reach out to when they're trying to navigate all of this. And you can find that by going to mhanational.org forward slash warm lines. So... Kelly, I, I thank you for your time. Um, I love chatting with you. So you want to sign us off? We always say keep fighting in the open. All right. Keep fighting in the open, everyone. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>